you're listening to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. And my name is Jeff Milo, and we thank you for joining us today. We are going to be interviewing an author and an illustrator who happens to be based in South Korea at this very moment, but is a Michigander. That is Ryan Estrada, author and illustrator and writer of renowned books released within the last five years, including Band Book Club and Student Ambassador. Both would be graphic novels for younger audiences, but he is a cartoonist who has created graphic novels also for uh, adults or maybe in the PG-13 rated uh, category, which we're going to get into because we do talk about how creating graphic novels can be very similar to you know, creating a movie or even writing a screenplay. So we're going to be talking all about that craft there. But now with Ryan Estrada, it's very interesting. He is, of course, author, illustrator. Those are two bullet points. The third bullet point is adventurer. We're going to be talking about a lot of the amazing adventures that he has had all over the world, uh, which he also turns into very entertaining comics. But, you know, a lot of nuance going on here. Now, Ryan Estrada can be a very entertaining writer, very entertaining illustrator. There can be a lot of energy on the page, but he can... He can get deep when he needs to get deep, and he can get very relatable and very funny, And but also, you know, well, we're going to talk about how he writes from the heart, more or less, but we're also going to talk a lot about this book, Band Book Club, which is based on a true story, came out about five years ago and garnered acclaim from a lot of notable outlets. Uh, NPR was really loving this, Publishers Weekly, and School Library Journal, and so many more. But we're also going to talk about where he gets his unique ideas, such as a comic called The Kind, which is a romantic comedy that just so happens to involve a werewolf. Uh, so very creative, very inventive mind. We're going to be talking to Ryan Estrada from right here in the Metro Detroit area, currently based in South Korea. This is our chat. Joining us on the podcast is Ryan Estrada. Hello. How are you? Hello. Good morning or good evening, whatever it is over there. I'm in South Korea. <laughs> it is It is in the afternoon here in Michigan, folks, as we record this podcast. Ryan has just uh, woken up. It is very early morning where he is at, but uh, we're talking to a Michigander, albeit he is in Korea. How are you today? I'm doing good. Yeah, it's good to be uh, virtually back home. It's been a, it's been a while since I've been able to travel anywhere, let alone uh, back home to Michigan. That's right. And an, and an accomplished author and illustrator is joining us by now. Uh, you are joining us virtually here with your hometown crew, but you have been, I mean, it's, it's on your resume. You're not only author, illustrator, but you're also adventurer, which we're going to get to. But uh, we're particularly going to talk a lot about two incredible books, one for young adults, teenagers, one for maybe even a younger middle grade crowd, two uh, graphic novels you've written, Band Book Club and Student Ambassador, and a lot of so many other things that you do. You're just a drawing machine, aren't you? We're going to talk about how you became a drawing machine, but Ryan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So actually just start us at the start. Talk about growing up in Michigan and then talk about kind of what came first for you, writing or drawing. You know, I uh, grew up in West Bloomfield, okay. and the whole plan to be a cartoonist started immediately. Okay. Uh, my mother tells me stories of, you know, before I could talk, like, you know, making plans to be a cartoonist. I, I started submitting to newspapers when I was six years old, 
I would, uh, you know, there was no internet then to figure out how to do it. I'd go, I'd uh, ask my mom to drive me to the library. Mm -hmm. I'd go, I'd check out books about how to put together a, a syndicate submission packet. Mm -hmm. And I prepared my samples. I sent them to the Oakland Press. Nice. And uh, the Oakland Press uh, back then, when I was six years old, sent me a letter that said uh, they appreciate my work and would keep my uh, work on hand just in case. Mm -hmm. And that's, of course, a very polite way to say, yeah, thanks, kid. Leave us alone. <laughs> but I did not know that because I was six years old. And I'm like, as soon as Jim Davis dies, I'm in. <laughs> and I would like check every day, be like, is there a spot? Is there a spot? Right. And I just, I kept bugging the Oakland press until finally when I was 16, they hired me as a cartoonist. That's awesome. And, uh, just basically just to get me to leave them alone, I think. Yeah, that is, uh, it sounds rather young to be hired. Yeah. Uh, well they, they started the, the section uh, called check it out that ran for a while. That was all uh, things written uh, by, by teens. I became a columnist and a cartoonist. And then I, I later found out that, uh, that she didn't even realize the woman that had hired me, the editor later realized who I was and said, wait, your, your letter from 10 years ago was what inspired this, this whole section. <laughs> um, she didn't, we, neither of us had put that together. Wow. Uh, they're like, oh, I guess uh, our local kids can write stuff if they mm -hmm. keep bugging us. Mm -hmm. For <laughs> me, that, that, that would have been a real boon of confidence if I heard that. Yeah. That's awesome. And then, yeah, so I uh, I happened to apply for the job that was inspired by me, even though they forgot my name, <laughs> and uh, I got it. So yeah, I just um, I I just I, I made a comic for them, and then I it was it was not a good comic. Mm -hmm. I was sixteen. Mm -hmm. It was just a blatant rip off of Garfield. Right. But you know, I didn't have any experience other than reading Garfield, so that's what I had to write about. Mm -hmm. And then I uh, I went to uh, school to study animation at the College for Creative Studies. Excellent. And then, yeah, after after college, I graduated the same year that the entire animation industry got completely laid off. Oh, no. And so I'm like, well, that's great. I just spent four years doing this. So I ended up getting a teaching job in Korea. Okay. While I was there, realizing that, like, you know, I loved traveling. Mm -hmm. And while I was there, I made comics. And I'm like, you know, this is my first love. And it's, so you know, I can do it myself. It's so much more uh, creative than, you know, the... 20 years of grunt work I'd have to put into animation before right. I could have a creative thought. And I'm like, I'm just going to keep traveling the world making comics. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I've done ever since. But tell me about this is that, you know, I could say, oh, you know, Ryan, you like to draw, but you also like to write. But when you're talking about specifically having influences who are cartoonists, people who make comics. So it's not simply that you just like to draw pictures. You like those pictures to tell a story. And I was wondering if you could also talk about where that impetus comes from obviously you do enjoy drawing but the fulfillment comes when they make a story right can you talk about just being you know just enjoying being a storyteller while you're at it yeah storytelling is the part of the process that i love drawing is actually just kind of the grunt work that i often have to do to like share my stories with someone else right uh, my my two most recent my two most successful books uh band book club and student ambassador i didn't draw right uh i, I wrote the scripts other artists illustrated them mm -hmm. and you know i i still I'm, I'm working on some other books that i'm illustrating but my passion comes from storytelling mm -hmm. and you know uh one of the benefits of that like whole uh you know finding out that the industry was all laid off and having traveled the world is that i suddenly started having experiences that i could draw on like if i had 
gotten, you know, went to LA and gotten a job in animation, I would have gone th- from someone who uh, made comics that were based on reading Garfield to like making animation that was based on watching Looney Tunes. Cause mm-hmm. that was all I did. Mm-hmm. But now suddenly I found myself traveling the world, getting in trouble, you know, sleeping on park benches and typhoons, getting almost eaten by lions in Africa, getting <laughs> lost in a cocoa war uh, in South America oh, no. and just, you know, basically I got into a lot of trouble just because I, I didn't plan much and I just got really excited and, and went places and had new experiences and had, so many stories to tell and met so many people that suddenly I have so many more kinds of stories to tell. Right. That's, that's kind of what I like to do is whether I'm telling, whether I'm writing fiction or nonfiction, putting my experiences into them and telling stories. Yeah. There's a couple other books that we can get to talking about too, like um, uh, the kind, and we can talk about Aki Alliance, but I think I I just want to touch back into all of those adventures you were hinting at, because I think what's so cool about, any of the books that I could point to that you have been involved in is that they are so energetic. Do you know what I mean? There's there's so much passion coming off of the page, even if it's just that you wrote the dialogue or if you did draw the pictures, there's, a, there's an exuberance and a vividness to it. And when you do think about some of these stories that you're telling, they're, I don't know, they're as uh, kind of effervescent as, as even a Pixar story. You know what I'm talking about? Like you have a lot of energy you put on the page and I wonder if it comes from all these adventures you've had and all these people that you've gotten to meet. It's a, it's a crazy life. Yeah. Basically it comes from the fact that because I started traveling the world from the mindset of a storyteller, Yeah. it, it has had this weird effect where stories are my currency. Mm-hmm. So, uh, wherever I went, like say I go somewhere, I have an amazing experience. That's great. I had amazing experiences, Mm -hmm. but if everything goes wrong and disaster strikes, I find myself stranded in Japan with no money. Uh, I'm sleeping on a park bench in a typhoon. I don't know how to get home. I have nothing to eat. Then I'm like, huh, what am I going to do with this? Is it going to be a graphic novel? Is it going to be a podcast? Am I going to, is it going to be prose? Is I going to write nonfiction? Am I going to make a character in a fiction story, go through this? And I just get really excited about like, seeing my life as though it's a story. Oh, that's great. So whether situations are good or bad, I'm excited. Right. And so all my characters are excited about things too. Well, talk about uh, putting yourself into the story. Uh, for instance, just this story that you that you wrote, Student Ambassador, and it's sort of inspired by your experiences, right? Tell us about that one. Yeah, when I was a kid uh, growing up in Michigan, I was a student ambassador to Australia. And like it was this, like I was in love with Australia. I'd studied the animals and everything. And I, and this opportunity, like I just, when I got it, I built this up in my head of what I thought it was going to be like. And just, you know, as an ambassador, I thought I couldn't imagine all the experiences and adventures I was going to have. And then I went and it was a really nice package tour. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, what is this? I, I expected like, you know, I'm just. You know, they're taking me around on a bus and showing me stuff. I wanted to experience stuff mm-hmm. and like, you know, should have completely appreciated the amazing trip I had. But I'm just like had this picture in my head of what I thought it would be. So I wrote Student Ambassador, which is, you know, my childlike imagination of what it could have been. And so it's a story about this kid that travels around the world, having adventures, getting into trouble, having to uh, solve mysteries and uh yeah, we started a series of these books about this this kid that very much based on me, but also very much a fictional character. And he, in the first book, 
student ambassador of the missing dragon. He uh, is sent to solve a problem with a, a, a boy king that's causing trouble because they figure he won't listen to adults. So a kid's the only one that can uh, that can talk to him. Right. And they end up getting kidnapped and having to travel to South Korea and they learn how to uh, read Korean because I figured like if uh, you know if a kid can read like a Harry Potter book and learn all the spells and learn the the history of Hogwarts then why not use the facts that they learn to solve the mystery be real things about the world right that you know and not put them in in there a way that like now we're going to learn about this but like we found a note (laughs) we have to crack it let's learn to read Hangul right and there's a there's like lessons in the back of the book too, which is awesome. Yeah, uh, yeah, and you know, and it's such a great sort of energy between the two characters. They're sort of an odd couple, almost like a buddy cop adventure, and it's just really great. And they just and it's, you know, this book is rightly praised for having madcap energy, but being very clever at the same time. And I think that's a compliment to your writing. And then we have to talk about Band Book Club, which came out 2016 I think right mm-hmm. and this is this garnered a lot of acclaim but this is talking about this is for older kids because it gets very political and even has kind of intense you know even violent scenes but there's mm-hmm. such a story of friendship going on here it takes place in the early 80s in Korea can you tell us more about it before I start rambling yeah band book club is the story uh, it's a true story of my wife. So as I mentioned, I'm I'm the one that travels the world, and uh, you know I got thrown out of a train in India. I got you know lost in the Maasai Mara, I climbed Kilimanjaro. So I've I've always been the one that has crazy stories and writes comics. And my wife is just like, that's your thing, whatever. You know, she's <laughs> never been interested in writing a book. She's never been interested in telling stories about her life. And then one day, we've been married for almost a decade. Mm-hmm. We're just taking a walk, and she casually mentions. Yeah, back when I was interrogated by the KCIA. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> and she's like, oh, I never mentioned that. Now, whatever. And I'm like, no, wait, back up. What do you mean when you're interrogated by the KCIA? And she's like, yeah, I was in an underground illegal reading group. We were fighting a dictator. It was a whole thing. Don't worry about it. And I'm thing. like, I'm, I'm not worried about it, but I want to know everything. <laughs> and so I, I tweeted about it. Yeah. And uh, my publisher, Iron Circus, saw that tweet. And posted a tweet of their own, like, man, I didn't even tag me. It was like, man, I, I'd like to publish a book about that. Mm-hmm. And I saw that tweet, and I'm like, are you talking about my wife? Mm-hmm. We can do that. Yeah. And so now my wife, who never wanted to write a book and never uh, uh, wanted to tell a story, suddenly has a book out about her <laughs> time fighting fascism. And we interviewed all of her old band book club friends, all her old teachers, and traveled Korea picking up the history and just – discovered this amazing story that she you know it's not like she was hiding it she's just like never thought to mention it because it's like you know everyone in korea at that time went through the same experiences so she's just like you know not everyone joined the band book club and and rose up against the government but you know it's just didn't think it was a big thing but uh you know apparently all all i had to do to find success all this time was ride my wife's coattails because she's pretty cool right yeah, so I mean, the, I highly recommend this book. This is a true story about a military regime. Obviously, censor, censorship is very intense, and it's a great, just a great story and a great cast. And I want to talk about that, that sort of energy of sort of creating your characters. And you could also sort of open up more about, you know, Aki Alliance and the kind and stuff like that, because I'm wondering what your writing process and creative process in general is like, because with 
you think it's especially important to note, especially if anyone out there is like, I want to be a cartoonist, I want to make graphic novels, I want to write. I think that there's some very important things you could probably share, especially about how you craft the story. You have to make a lot of decisions, right? I think we make a lot of jokes about grandiose novelists who spend five pages describing the sandwich that the character has. You don't have that that luxury. You've got to be so sort of snappy, right? You have to keep it moving. Can you talk about that process and experience? Yeah, that's where I came in. You know, Hyunsuk, my wife and I, mm-hmm. uh, Kim Hyunsuk, we co-wrote the book together. Mm-hmm. So we came at it from different angles, whereas she's the one that has the story. Mm-hmm. She's the one that went through, you know, her uh, she was interrogated. Her friends were kidnapped and tortured by the government. They had to sneak around and um, do all this. And then I come from the, you know, you mentioned, I don't write stories like that. I write stories about, you know, kids getting into trouble. Mm-hmm. I write about, you know, werewolves running through Royal Oak. Right. I write stuff like that. So, um, but, you know, what I wanted to do is show that, you know, this tragic moment in history wasn't their life. Mm-hmm. That was a thing that was intruding on their life. Mm-hmm. So when interviewing my wife and interviewing all the people, I was asking questions, you know, I, the history I can learn in a book, I wanted to know about like, um, about, you know, what was your part-time job during school? Like, what were the boys that you liked? What did you do when you like, uh, when you guys hung out? Like, what were the arguments you and your friends had? And mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, I, I, that's why like there's whole chunks of the book that are about like her father's failing steak restaurant Mm -hmm. and uh, the funny situations he got into with that about like kids hanging out in the park and uh, her friend making like really bad homemade wine that everybody has to pretend to like. And, uh, you know, because that's what interests me is that these are, you know, these weren't freedom fighters. These were kids trying to live their lives and this fascist government was intruding on that. Mm -hmm. And that's what drove them to, do something about it. So I tried to, you know, make it a, a story of humor and friendship. Mm-hmm. And I, I learned everything I could about the political situation, but I didn't want to make it a textbook. Right. So I only included those details as they related to the kids' lives mm-hmm. and as the details that they needed to learn to change their minds and, you know, learn it from conversations with, with friends while they were doing something else. So yeah, that I think that the the two of us uh, with those different points of view on it were able to you know kind of build the story together. Yeah, that that feels real to what everyone experienced, and you know being able to show the story to all of the real people that um, were involved and have right. them give feedback on it really helped make it as real as possible. Right, and this might be a lazy comparison, but you know if you are writing the story for this, or if you're writing the story for Student Ambassador. Uh, your role seems sort of almost to me like that of, you know, uh, a screenwriter. Like the film, the movie part is going to be, you know, it's going to come to life, but you're just putting the words on this page, like like uh, stage direction. And when you get to do stuff like The Kind, you get to be screenwriter and director. But again, there's like, there's a, there's a, an economy involved in sort of how much you can really include because... Graphic novels in general, comics have a a pace to them, don't they? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you can only really be in a scene for four pages, maybe. So I, there, that's something you probably had to just learn and, and sort of hone in on, right? Yeah. When I first write a script, mm-hmm. my first draft is always just like a movie script. I don't yeah. break it up into pages or panels yet. I just write dialogue and scene descriptions. Mm-hmm. And I don't start breaking it up until 
I get all of that right. Mm -hmm. Because if I, you know, if I say page one, this happens page, page one, panel one, this happens page one, panel two. And then later I'm like, Oh, let's change this. Then I have to change every single thing because (laughs) nothing matches. And like, you know, when you're thinking about a comic page, like what's next to each other is important. Like yeah. where, where you end a page, yeah. you want to, you want to end a page like you end a sentence you, or a paragraph. You want it to be a complete thought, mm-hmm. even if it's still continuing to the next one. And like, you want the images that are next to each other to relate. You mm-hmm. want that you want to think about what happens when I turn the page. Is there some reveal when I turn the page? So mm-hmm. if you're just, you know, if I, change a line and a panel moves over the next page, then it ruins everything. Right. So I write a movie script and then later that's the last thing I do is break it up. Or sometimes if I'm working with an artist, I might say, you know, I always ask my artist, do you prefer I break it down to page and panel or I just say this happens on this page and you think about it. Mm -hmm. Different artists work differently. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, when I'm illustrating something myself, it is like directing a movie. Right. And uh, you know, you mentioned in a, a novel, someone might go on five pages right. about you know the interior of the room. Right. You know, I remember like reading The Hobbit like as a kid and being <laughs> like, I'm 40 pages in, I still have not gotten over. I still have gotten past what this dude's room looks like. Can any <laughs> character come in and say anything? Right. Um, in a graphic novel, you're still doing that, but like, you just see the room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You know, and if I and if an art if I want a room to look a certain way, I still have to write all that because mm-hmm. the artist has to to see it. Right. But then the artist just draws it, and then in a second, the the reader can internalize that. Yeah. And you know, the reason you describe a room isn't because the the reader needs to know that. Right. It's because you you know there's something about the room that's relating to the story. You're telling something about the character. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, if you describe how detailed the room is and how clean everything is, you're showing that character has a very orderly life. Yeah. And then something's going to happen that's going to mess with that order. So, you know, in in graphic novels, there's just an economy of that where you can get that, you know, the audio, the reader doesn't even know they're seeing that. Mm-hmm. They're just looking at the character and like, you know, you're thinking about someone's field of vision when you're writing a comic because you you're thinking about where their eye is going to go. And like, you know, their, their eye is going to be drawn to the word, the word bubble. And then like, which word bubble is going to point it to there? What's their eye going to pass when their eye is doing it? Right. So you're thinking a lot about psychology when you're doing it. And like, you know, you know, that the reader is not going to sit and look at like, well, let me look at that bookshelf. How organized are the books? Mm-hmm. How, you know, uh, did they clean up their, their table after they had their meal? They're not going to be <laughs> thinking about that, but as they see it, like if someone, if you know, if, or if you draw a character whose house is very messy and the, the window screens are broken and they still have their cereal bowls from last week, they're just going to judge that character mm-hmm. as though it were a person mm-hmm. and have something in their mind about it. So you're just, you're building a story just like a director, just like a, a novelist. It's all the same art form, just different tools used to express things. Right. And we've been talking about the, all these movie metaphors. Uh, and if, if uh, folks go to your website, which we're going to link to in the show notes, you can sort of scroll down and look at all these things you've worked on. And, you know, it's a graphic novel, but you do this cool thing where you have uh, ratings, PG, PG-13, different audience age groups. You know, that's awesome. And uh, let's get into uh, something really uh interesting is called the kind and maybe you could talk there's three things i want to dig into is sort of the types of things and sort of uh energies and themes you like to explore this is uh involving werewolves to an extent but it's also sort of a got a romantic comedy energy and uh you know tell me about how this was sort of connected to something you worked with 
uh, with DC on. And then I want to get into just the fact that you have worked with a lot of cool people by now. But to start with that, tell us about The Kind. Well, The Kind uh, is, as you mentioned, a werewolf graphic novel right. um, that takes place in Royal Oak, Michigan, yep. uh, all around one block. And uh, basically the idea was, I, you know, I, it was first developed for uh, DC Comics mm-hmm. used to have a, a, they started a, a web comics publishing arm called Zuda. Mm-hmm. And I made a, a little short for them. And it my basically like the funny thought that I had at that time was what if you did a werewolf story, but it wasn't horror mm-hmm. and there wasn't a werewolf in it because like werewolves, they're werewolves one night of the month. Mm-hmm. Rest of the time, they're just people trying to live their lives. <laughs> so what if I made like a romantic comedy that just happened to star a woman who happened to be a werewolf? Um, now, of course, like, shortly thereafter this this was a long time ago shortly thereafter like twilight happened right and now like werewolf romance is not exactly the most unique idea right but at that time it was like that would be really weird to just see if i can pull that off and so it's just a story about um a woman who uh like i said happens to be a werewolf and just kind of having this romantic comedy with this guy and like you know in a romantic comedy there's always some secret hers just happens to be that once a month, she turns into a wolf and eats people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so um, I, at one point, you know, after the DC Comics thing, I wanted to expand it into a bigger story. And at one point I was thinking of turning it into like a very low budget movie. Mm-hmm. And I I wanted to shoot it in Royal Oak because the whole story is based around this one block, mm-hmm. like downtown Royal Oak. I, the idea was throughout their romance, they just have different meetings, different dates in this, you know, around the same block. They go to the movie theater, they go to the main art movie theater, they go to coffee shop, they go to a a bar, you know, meeting each other. And then at the very end, they read, they go through all the exact same locations, except suddenly it's a horror story Mm -hmm. because it's that one night when she turns into a werewolf. So I really wanted it to be like in this very contained area and, um, and Royal Oak just had like all the locations in it. You know, that's where I was when I was writing it and when I was talking to people. So like I'd be in these cafes and things and be like, okay, this could happen here. That could happen there. And the geography was of it was very important, but I ended up making a graphic novel instead. And I was like, man, but this location is so perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to have to draw all this and like, <laughs> you know, take, you know, take photo. You know, I, I really want to take place on that block. So I'm like, I'm going to take all this photographic reference and like make sure everything's right. And I'm like, wait a minute, why don't I just use the pictures as the backgrounds? Right. Because it's so important to it. So I, I got a, a friend who lived uh, in Ferndale, actually, who uh, my friend Jim Smith, he uh, became my cinematographer. And we went out and shot the entire shot it as though it were a movie. But we just got our locations, shot background plates from every angle. Uh, you know, I had like storyboards of what I needed and then I, I dropped the, the, uh, backgrounds into the comic and, uh, then drew the characters right into it so that they were walking around and, and interacting with the city. That's awesome. And again, I, I, I go back to your website. There's so much work there. There's lots of, uh, sort of the, the Ryan made mistakes series, and there's a lot of great adventures of your life that people can read in comic form. Uh, I guess if there, let's say you were specifically talking to people who listen to this podcast who, you know, want to attempt to even follow in your footsteps. Like, 
what have you learned, not just from your adventures, but really from from the craft, from the work that you have put in at this point and the uh, accomplishments you've been able to do? What got you there? What kept you going? What was sort of your mantra philosophy of all of it? My tip for people that want to make art, any kind of art, is to make the art the only you can make. Mm -hmm. And if people are telling you the art you want to make will never can't be successful, uh, if they're telling you nobody will want to read that, then you're on the right track. Right. Because people will always tell you to make what's popular. Yeah. And what's popular has already been made. Right. And if you're not passionate about making that, like, um, you know, I used to do custom comics and I'd have to make a lot of superhero comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I just, people could pay a flat rate and I'd draw like, you know, people like draw a story with my boyfriend as Batman or something. <laughs> and I was not good at it. I'm not, you know, I'm not great at drawing that style. I'm not passionate. You know, I love, I love the characters. I love the movies, Sure, but that's not what I am passionate about writing. And so they just weren't very good. And so like it, you know, everyone I talked to about making comics, they're like, Oh, you should make some superhero comics. That's what sells. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but if I make a superhero comic, I'm up against a million people who are really passionate and really good at making superhero comics. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be successful. Right. That not that you can't be successful making those comics, but I can't. Right. But if I, you know, uh, no one else makes uh, comics about the time I got thrown from a train in India. No one else makes comics about, you know, a student ambassador who gets kidnapped by gangsters and has to learn Hangul to solve a mystery. Uh, so there's no proof that those concepts can be successful. Right. But that's because no one else would ever think to make that. Right. So, um, you know, I have found success in being the only person that makes that comic and whatever you make, if, you know, if there's some super weird thing that you're super into, I guarantee someone else in the world is going to be into that. Right. And if you're the only person that can make that for them, they are going to be super into it. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, the way that the world is, is uh, in, uh, you know, the world and media and the Internet and fandoms are fractured. Like you don't need to be the most popular thing in the world to find success. You need if you have a core group of of passionate fans who are interested in what you make, then you can build success from that. Right. So that's my, my thing. Live your life, have your experiences and make sure you do have experiences. Cause you don't want to be the kid like me. Who's like, I don't know. I'll write about an orange cat. That's too lazy to chase mice. <laughs> that's not going to be, that's not going to be successful. It already was, you know, I, uh, but have experiences <laughs> make the things that you like. Yeah. And you know, I wish there was like a less hallmark card sort of way to say this, but also just right from the heart, which is what I believe you do. Um, it's not, it's not even just that you're writing about yourself, but as I keep trying to harp on, there's a lot of energy to your writing and the voices you put into your dialogue. So that you write from the heart. So that's always important. So I guess what's coming up next? So this is going to be more coming in the Student Ambassador series. Anything else you're working on lately or looking forward to? Yeah, uh, the book I'm working on right now, I'm working on two books. Uh, one of them is uh, the sequel to Student Ambassador. Mm-hmm. I'm writing Student Ambassador, The Silver City, Excellent. which is where uh, Joseph uh, goes to Zacatecas, Mexico, which is where my grandfather's from. Again, based on my experiences right. living there. Uh, more mysteries to solve. We're working on a kind of follow-up to band book club uh, called Occulted, 
that is uh, based on a, a friend of mine, her experience growing up in a cult in oh, wow. uh, in California during basically in the same neighborhood in the same era uh, as the Heaven's Gate uh, oh, situation. Yeah, and you know she was banned from uh, reading books because they said the world's ending. Why would you bother? So she secretly read banned books and learned everything she needed to escape the cult. And uh, I got a lot of other projects I'm working on that'll be out in like many, many years from now because I have so many projects. But I just, know. Uh, just keep keep watching. And, uh, you know, for any readers, uh, like I said, my two books we mentioned are in the library now. And That's if right. you go to ryanestrada.com, there's lots of stuff that you can read for free that I've made over the decades. Yeah, but folks could finish this podcast and dive right into the kind, which is awesome. And uh, on Twitter, also at Ryan Estrada and RyanEstrada.com, which we'll link to in the show notes. It has been a pleasure to chat with you, Ryan. It's been great talking to you. And that was our chat with Ryan Estrada, author, illustrator and adventurer and yes two of those books student ambassador and band book club that ryan wrote and co-wrote are both here in our library but we're going to be linking to ryanestrada.com where you can find so so many many more works that ryan has been creating over the last few years and we will keep our eyes open for the sequel to student ambassador for middle grade readers this has been a little too quiet the ferndale library podcast It's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. And if you enjoyed this conversation, please share it on social media or you can just tell a friend about it. Or if you're a regular listener already, please remember to rate, review, or subscribe. And you can always head over to ferndalefriends.org for more information on how to support. Once again, our guest was Ryan Estrada. My name is Jeff Milo, and I thank you for listening.